Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. I'm a veterinarian and a professor at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine here at the University of Saskatchewan. This week, Dr. Emily Snyder is rejoining me on the podcast. Emily's an assistant professor in the Department of Large Animal Clinical Sciences here at the University of Saskatchewan. She's involved in a wide variety of beef cattle research projects with a special focus on respiratory disease. But today she's going to help me answer a listener question about the best practices around introducing new animals into the herd. Let's get started. Hi Emily, welcome to the podcast again. It's great to have you back. And before we get into our topic for today, I'll just maybe ask you to introduce yourself again to the listeners. Just tell us a little bit about your background. You're a faculty member here in our department at the Vet College and uh, part of our uh, ambulatory ruminant team. But uh, where'd you come from and how'd you end up here? Well, yeah, thanks, John. It's great to be back. Um, So, yeah, I've been here about two and a half years now at the WCVM. And uh, in terms of my position, you know, I do field work. um, So I do go out and see uh, clinical cases in the field. Um, But I also do some research and teaching. So kind of a a wide variety of things. Um, In terms of my background, I am originally from the States. Um, I came from uh, Iowa. I graduated vet school at Iowa State and then uh, practiced for a few years before going back to school at the University of Georgia, um, where I did some research with stalker cattle. Great. Well, today I've brought you back to discuss uh, a listener question, actually. So Elizabeth sent us this uh, via email during the summer, and and I thought it was a good topic that we should cover. So we want to discuss some of the best practices that we would associate with bringing animals from other farms into our herd. So it's an important component of something you and I would call a biosecurity plan. So maybe let's start by talking about that. What does that term biosecurity encompass? Right. So biosecurity basically is a bunch of management management principles or, or management guidelines that producers can utilize to limit um, the spread and introduction of uh, disease onto their farm. So, you know, things like different viruses or bacterial diseases um, are, are the kind of the, the main things that we try to control with biosecurity. Um, and then also utilizing it to uh, those principles to minimize spread of disease within the farm between groups. So a lot of the things we talk about for preventing disease and disease control would go into biosecurity and that would be including density of the animals and how we bring animals into our herds and things like that. And obviously from a biosecurity perspective, the ideal scenario would be to not bring any new animals into our herd at any time to, in other words, have a completely closed herd. However, that almost never happens in the cow-calf industry. We all bring new animals into our herd from time to time, either through buying bulls or replacement heifers or some other kind of animal. Uh, especially if we have to expand our herd, that's often a necessity to bring some animals in as well. Let's start by talking about the source of where we get these animals, this new replacement stock or bulls. Does it matter when we're talking about biosecurity about the source of the animal at all? I would say, you know, it does matter. Um, I think that the best bet is if you can get them from a known source, that you are familiar with their management practices, that you're familiar with, you know, their own biosecurity protocols um, in terms of where they're sourcing 
their their stock from as well. And then basically knowledge of uh, their vaccine history. I think all of those things are, are really important um, when you're making a choice where to get your animals from. If you can do that, that's that's a better option. If you're kind of aware and you know the, the history of those animals before they come onto your farm, that's better than, say, sourcing animals from a sale barn where you might not have any knowledge of um, you know, what diseases may be on the farm that they came from, what their vaccine history would be, and so on. Right. Certainly buying at the auction market, uh, we often don't have that kind of information. One of our very smart colleagues, uh, Dr. Calvin Booker, calls that the witness protection program for cattle, that uh, we don't really know much about what they've been exposed to or what they've been vaccinated for, and, and so it's tough to, tough to sort that out there. What are some of the important diseases that we might be worried about introducing our herd when we purchase animals and bring them in? What, what are the things we might be concerned with? So the, the different diseases that you're going to be concerned about are going to be different based on sort of what uh, your stage of production is. So, you know, for the cow-calf producer, one of the big things that we worry about them bringing in is if they're bringing uh, BVD onto the farm. BVD has uh, effects both on uh, reproductive performance and cause abortions, but it also has impacts on uh, respiratory disease and, and can cause some immunosuppression um, that makes calves more susceptible to respiratory disease. Other things that we worry about as well uh, would be other respiratory pathogens. If you're bringing uh, an animal that's infected with uh, bovine herpes virus, one, um, also known as IBR, onto the farm and uh, where it's going to be potentially shedding that to pregnant animals. We do worry about, um, you know, causing abortions in those situations as well. Other diseases that we think about, uh, such as yonis, are a little bit trickier because it's hard to know when animals are actually infected with that. And they may not be showing signs um, at the time that they're brought into the farm as well. Something to consider too, if you're purchasing bulls and they are not virgin bulls, we do worry about a uh, trick uh, potentially being uh, brought onto the farm too. So those are some de- definitely some diseases of concern that uh, we need to be aware of. Right. And there's probably others that we don't have on our list, but what's interesting to me when you made that list is many of those diseases have a chronic carrier condition where if an animal gets infected with it, they may be infected for life and can shed it at various times. So that makes them a little more tricky because the animal may look normal, but be still shedding a infectious pathogen. Let's talk about some of those individually. Let's start with Yoni's disease. You mentioned it because the approach is going to change depending on which disease we're concerned about, especially. But let's start with Yoni's. Is quarantine or isolation of that animal when we bring it onto our farm, is that going to make a difference for that disease? Would, would that be useful? So that's really, really tricky. Um, quarantine with, with Yoni's disease. Now, if you, if you kept that animal separate from the herd forever, sort of a, an infinite quarantine, um, I suppose that's the only way that you could 100% prevent uh, bringing it in. But unfortunately, with a lot of animals that are carrying the microbe that causes Yoni's disease, they're not actually showing signs at the time uh, when they're purchased or brought onto the farm. There's also animals that can carry it and may never show signs for their entire life, and we wouldn't know necessarily that they're infected. Unfortunately, for Yoni's disease, we don't have a a perfect test. A lot of times the tests only work for identifying um, 
Yoni's positive case is when those animals are actively sick and showing signs of disease. In carrier animals, it can be really hard to identify them. Right. And we often recommend that you can't really even, it's not even worth testing if they're under two years of age. And often mm -hmm. we're buying younger animals as replacement heifers or bulls or something like that. So testing isn't really an option and vaccination isn't an option for Yonis either. We don't have a vaccine in Canada that that uh, is licensed for Yonis disease. So we're kind of limited in what we can do there. It's more about uh, knowledge of the herd and making sure that Perhaps the place, the source you're buying them from doesn't have that disease and, and they've got some program in place to make sure they maintain that. And it's, I would also posit too, that it's important to, um, if you were having, happening to supplement your calves with colostrum, making sure that you know the source of that colostrum and using perhaps a, a packaged product is safer than bringing colostrum in from an outside farm, particularly if you're um, sourcing it from dairy farms. Um, that is a way to, to certainly introduce it into your herd as well. That's a good point. So the risk is not just bringing animals in, it's bringing animal products in like colostrum and things like that. So that's good to remember. Let's switch gears. Let's talk a little bit about salmonella. It's another disease that we might worry about introducing into our farm if we're buying in animals. And we have seen a few cases of salmonella Dublin, a particular strain of salmonella, in cow-calf herds in the past year. It's a pretty common strain in the dairy industry, but we're starting to see issues in some cow-calf herds occasionally. You dealt with one of these herds uh, in the last few years. Maybe you can start by describing what you've seen in one of those cases. Right, so um, unfortunately for this herd, we were brought in for an outbreak of what appeared to them to be uh, mainly respiratory disease. At the time we were called in, they had lost about a third of their calf crop at that point in time. We did some investigation and discovered that it was in fact Salmonella Dublin, which uh, tends to cause, it can cause some, some GI disease, but it causes a septicemia, which can manifest as, as respiratory disease, which is what was happening in this case. Um, unfortunately, this was a problem uh, that you know this producer bought, and we do see that happening, where they, they purchased mature uh, pregnant cows and uh, brought them into the herd. Um, and did not quarantine those cows. And unfortunately, they were probably the culprits that are, were sh shedding Salmonella Dublin into the environment. Previous to the introduction of these cows, um, this was not uh, an issue that this farm had had. So obviously there was some pretty significant immediate consequences. Losing a third of your calf crop's not any fun for anybody. But what were some of the more long-term issues that they're going to have to deal with once they get Salmonella Dublin in their herd? Right. So this kind of does present a challenge um, now that they have uh, basically they've introduced this bug into their herd, potentially going to have to deal with it in future uh, calving periods as well. It's one that's a little bit uh, tricky to control at times. We can have animals that might be carrying it uh, but aren't shedding it, so they might be hard to identify. We could have uh, other animals that, you know, shed it heavily but are otherwise uh, clinically healthy. And so um, it might not be obvious uh, that they're carriers. So going in, you know, and, and potentially testing is something that could be done. But unfortunately, we might not be able to identify all of those animals. So what did the producers have to do to deal with that once, once the infection was in there? Did they have to cull animals or did they uh, have to deal with cleaning up the environment? What, what sort of things did, did you have to start to do to deal with that outbreak? 
So um, one of the things that we had to do was we had to look at uh, flow of animals through the farm. Generally, what I recommend uh, for, for any outbreaks um, in neonates uh, and young calves is trying to have them calve in separate groups so that we're not exposing our newborn baby calves to older calves who might be sort of amplifying any of these pathogens and then shedding them into the environment. So what our recommendation was, was um, in the future, um, utilizing preg checking so that we can separate our calving groups into uh, about four, two to four week intervals um, so that we ha- are minimizing risk to the, the younger calves uh, from the older calves not putting putting young calves in, in pens where older calves have already been present. Um, we had to, to make sure that we were uh, trying to clean up the environment a bit, trying to uh, minimize standing water in the pen where, where calves might be drinking and, and shedding uh, the salmonella in their feces. We had to um, make sure we were utilizing some biosecurity protocols in terms of you know how we were uh, moving moving through the groups of animals. So going from healthy to sick um, as we as we feed and go through the pens uh, so that we're not uh, basically bringing in pathogens to, to the healthy calves and, uh, and those sorts of measures. We also recommended too to utilize feeders so that um, we're not feeding on the ground and uh, we lessen the chance of the, the cows and the calves picking up those pathogens from the feces. Right. So it's it's not easy to deal with once you get into your herd. And obviously that's always difficult in calving season and in the midst of all the other stuff you're trying to get done. That's that's not much fun. I, I think we know the answer to this. Like how could they have prevented from getting it in uh, to their herd in the first place? I guess not buying animals would be the easy answer, but yeah. but maybe it's going back to your first answer about, you know, buying it from a known source where you know that the likelihood of them having a bug like salmonella would be unlikely there. Uh, certainly it's way more prevalent in the dairy industry. Did they have dairy calves or dairy cattle on this farm at all? So they had a few uh, dairy calves uh, that they were raising as well. Um, but the, the problem did start before introduction um, of those animals onto the farm. Interesting. Well, you mentioned a few other diseases like BVD, bovine viral diarrhea, and IBR, infectious bovine rhinotracheitis. They're also sort of those chronic silent carrier type diseases where an animal can bring it onto the farm without you realizing it very easily. They can look pretty healthy. What can we do to prevent that from happening or becoming a big problem? Yeah, so so with BVD, um, that one is one that we want to if we're bringing any animals onto farm, we want to make sure that we're testing to make sure that they're not uh, persistently infected. So there's uh, some different tests available. You know, we can take an ear notch and have that tested uh, to see if those animals are BVD persistently infected. Obviously, uh, vaccination of uh, non-pregnant animals with uh, an appropriate vaccine is, is another way to manage it. If you have a, a pregnant animal of unknown vaccine status, she could be not persistently infected, right? But we don't know the status of her calf. So potentially she could be carrying a BBDPI calf if we have no idea um, regarding her history or her vaccination status. So in those situations where we're completely, where we don't know her history at all, it might be wise to um, manage her separately until you know she's calved and weaned that calf um, so we're not risking introducing a BVDPI calf and exposing 
the other calves on the farm to that. Yeah, I dealt with an outbreak years ago where they had done just that. They had bought a group of pregnant heifers that had persistently infected BVD fetuses, so calves, uh, who they then calved out. And that next year, when those calves were born, they were shedding BVD virus. And our herd was vaccinated, so that was the one good thing. We had vaccines, that, so that our cows were fairly well protected. But the baby calves that were exposed to these other calves became immune suppressed. One of the things that BVD virus does causes immune suppression, and they were getting looked like respiratory virus that that was uh, affecting them because of the immunosuppression of being exposed to BVD. So, yeah, it can happen when you bring those animals in. And and the nice thing with those two diseases is we can vaccinate our herds and make sure they're protected that way. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily provide complete protection all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we still want to maybe be careful about that. It's interesting about the testing. BVD is the one disease we can probably test for. And I know that some bull sales will test uh, bulls for being persistently infected for BVD and and show that. But probably, again, if we go back to your first answer, you go to a herd that's well, you're buying from a herd that's well vaccinated and has a good program. It's pretty unlikely that they're going to be selling you a PI calf then. Uh, So knowing the source of the herd is probably the most important thing if you do have to buy an animal. We should talk a little bit about IBR virus or infectious bovine rhinotracheitis. Emily, you mentioned that uh, at the start in the list of diseases. What are some of the things we would worry about with IBR virus? How would it get introduced and, and could we avoid that in any way? Right. So that's an interesting virus um, because it's a herpes virus. Once an animal is infected with it, they are infected for life. And in fact, when we use a modified live IBR vaccine, we are actually giving the animals uh, that virus. And so they are infected with it, but it's a a less nasty version of it, basically. And by utilizing vaccination, we're able to keep it um, under control. So the problem that we run into is if we are not appropriately vaccinating our herd, or if we have calves that have not received a vaccination against IBR, and we were to bring in an animal that is uh, is shedding bovine herpes virus 1 or IBR, and we could potentially cause some issues in our own herd um, if we haven't vaccinated against it by causing some abortions. If we have animals that are shedding it and we're exposing um, young calves to it who do not have appropriate immunity against it, we could cause some respiratory infections in those animals as well. Right. I've dealt with some outbreaks of IBR in neonatal calves, and it's not very fun to deal with. It's a very nasty disease in young calves. We don't see it in herds that are well vaccinated. So the vaccines are pretty effective and that's that's really the ultimate answer for that one. Again, if you bought from a source herd where you know their vaccination program, it's pretty unlikely you're going to bring IBR into your herd as well. So maybe we're going back to your first answer again is know the source of those animals whenever you buy them uh, to avoid that. And obviously, just like BVD and IBR, we can protect our herd fairly well by making sure they have the appropriate vaccines on board. Well, we've talked about BVD and IBR, and we know that some of our most common diseases that we see in cow-calf herds are respiratory disease and calf scours. We've seen this in a number of studies that it tends to be worse in herds that buy more adult animals. Uh, we had Trent Wenekamp on last season, and he talked a little bit about that. 
Is there anything we can do to mitigate that risk? Let's say we've got to introduce animals into the herd, but we want to mitigate the risk that it's going to cause us more calf scours or more respiratory disease in our calves. Is there anything we could do to, to lower that risk a bit? Obviously, the quarantine is, uh, is a useful measure that we can do. If we can quarantine those, those cows uh, from the calves for a period of time, um, we, generally for quarantine, we recommend two to four weeks. kind of depends on which disease we're trying to control. Um, that's, that's a good uh, recommendation. You know, if, we can, if, we're, if we're bringing in pregnant cows, I would recommend calving them out separately from the rest of the herd. Um, and then later after, you know, uh, they're done calving, perhaps after they've uh, weaned that calf, then bringing them into the herd uh, together. So we're minimizing shedding of, of uh, pathogens from their feces to, you know, naive calves uh, is probably um, a good idea there. So I think it's, it's looking at um, when's the best time for, for you to be able to do that. If you can afford to keep them separately um, and if you have the facilities to do that, um, I think that's a good good idea. Right, it's always tough. We always don't have enough places to keep animals, and that's always the challenge. But, but for sure, the quarantine would help. And I've often wondered: is, you know, can we avoid introducing new animals right around the time of calving, or when their calves are neonates? That's probably another important aspect to that too, because that's sort of the high risk period on the farm. We want to we want to avoid introductions at that time. Well, we've talked about the risk posed to our herd when we bring a new animal into the herd. But if you look at it from the other way, that new animal is going through transportation and moving into a new social group and a new environment and maybe a new nutritional program. You know, is there anything we can do to minimize those stresses? I suppose the quarantine part might help that as well. Yeah, um, the, the quarantine part uh, is, is a good time to slowly introduce those uh, animals to a new ration. So if they're receiving a different ration, the destination farm uh, than they had at their origin farm, um, using that time to transition them to, to more of uh, the typical ration on farm. You know, we have uh, that quarantine period of, of two weeks or so, um, and that's a great time uh, to do that. It's also a great time, too, to get those, um, those vaccines on board if that's possible, you know, if they're not pregnant, we don't want to use a modified live in an animal of unknown vaccine status. But, you know, certainly uh, if, it, if we're able to do that, it's, that's a good, good option there. In terms of minimizing the social stresses, um, that can be a bit of a challenge. Obviously, if we're, if we're uh, utilizing a, a good quarantine, um, we're not going to have animals that are mixing or ideally not even nose-to-nose contact, too. Um, so that they're not um, exposed. So I, I think the social stresses, you know, are still going to be a little bit of a challenge um, when we're introducing new groups of animals to each other. But uh, if we can minimize that by getting them used to the environment, getting them used to the ration on the destination farm, I think that's probably the best that we can do. Great, Emily. Thank you for that advice. I think we covered the basis there and we sure appreciate you coming in and doing that. And thanks to Elizabeth, our listener who sent us that question. We really appreciate that as well. So thanks again. No problem. Have a great day. That's the show for this week. I want to thank each of you for listening to the podcast. And thanks again to my guest, Dr. Emily Snyder. Thank you as well to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Please consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have questions or comments or would like to suggest topics that you'd like to see covered in future episodes, 
please email us at bchmpodcast at gmail.com. That's bchmpodcast at gmail.com. Take care till next time.